Another reading. This is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. May God bless this reading of God's word to God's glory and our understanding. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, may such words of love stir us to catch a glimpse of your love made real for us. Speak to our hearts that we too might sing. Amen. There was a time in Canada's history when many people wondered if such recent immigrants should be allowed to enter into this fair country. People felt this one particular group were not worthy. They were not civilized. They were generally considered to be less than savages. They were definitely not educated. They did not share the same social values as all other Canadians. They practiced another religion. And the churches and the newspapers were full of hateful talk about their very destructive way of life. People actually started to protest the government support that was being offered to these newcomers. And that's when things got nasty. The homes of several immigrants were burned to the ground. A few immigrants were lynched and put to death. To make matters worse, these immigrants brought their troubles with them. Thousands of the immigrants eventually mobilized an army that actually tried to take over this country. In 1868, they went so far as to assassinate a member of parliament just a few hundred meters away on Spark Street from where we are right now. Yes, there was a time in this country when immigrants from Ireland were not welcome here in Canada. They were not accepted for decades. The rebellion they started was called the Fenian Uprising, and it did fail to succeed because it never got the popular support they thought it would. It was Canada's first failed revolution. Revolutions like the Fenian Uprising had the goal, a noble goal really, of improving the lives of the Irish people. The Irish people wanted to be free. They wanted a more just form of government for their homeland. But their revolution took place here, on this soil, and it failed. It failed because it was based on anger that most people could not relate to. Because anger alone doesn't have the power to change the world. Anger is power that has been frustrated. It is passion that has been blocked. Now to express your anger can be liberating, but fury alone cannot save the day. Now the hatred that Canadians express towards the Irish immigrants is not new. I can remember growing up in Carlton Place 
which was the site of the Ballygiblin riots, which is the lynching and burning, that the Irish part of town was very clearly delineated and the Protestant kids were not to go into the Irish part of Carlton Place. So it's not that long ago that, that hatred still simmered in our country. Canada has a long history of treating people poorly. We have a long history of treating our native people poorly. There's been a lot of hatred and mistrust directed against the immigrants of our, to our country who are black. The Jews and the Japanese have all found themselves to be the target of rather vicious discrimination here in our country. Today, a lot of that hatred is focused on Muslims. But it's interesting if you pull up the old newspapers, you'll realize that the way we spoke about the Irish a century and a half ago is the same way we're speaking about Muslims today. Thankfully, we know that in such time, such hatred will burn itself out. Because hatred has the power to tear things down. But hatred cannot build things up. Hatred of people who are different from us does eventually fade, because if we continue to treat as the other those who are different from us, we cannot build a brave new world together. And that is the goal of Canada, is to build a world together with all who come here. But this idea of fearing those who are different is not new, and it's not isolated here. It's a common theme in our politics today. If you've been watching the nightly news, you know that the long American election campaign hasn't even started and they're still going at it. Many candidates are using fear as the justification for their platforms. And sometimes they have to go so far as to invent new fears so they can be seen as the one who is going to deliver their country. One candidate is on record as wanting to build a wall on the Canada-US border to protect the Americans from a terrorist invasion from Canada. Really? Really? Another candidate this week said that the American army should be used to patrol the Canadian border because it's such a dangerous place and the risk of invasion is so amazingly high. Really? I, did, I didn't know the threat level was that high. Did I miss that one? Wow. That's fear. That's fear-mongering. And all of us are going, what's he talking about? But down there, it's playing into people's expectations, and they're buying into the fear. But the truth is, nothing can ever make us truly safe. Whenever you're in a relationship, whether it's another person or with another country next door, you're vulnerable. Both good and bad things can happen when you're in relationships. Canada and the U.S. has a great relationship. Have any terrorists ever come from Canada into the U.S.? No. Do we have good border security? I think so, but fear is used to destroy relationships. Fear destroys the trust that relationships need in order to survive. Fear cannot heal our world. Fear will not make our world a safer place. So how can we make our world a safer place? How can we dare live alongside people who are different from us? How can we change this broken, hurting world for the better if all of our guns are not going to get us peace on earth? Well, truly, only a gift of love can bring peace to the world. Only love can change the world. Only love has the power to heal this world. The message of Christmas is that God's gift of love has come among us. There's a modern translation of the Bible I like to use 
It's called the message, and it puts that passage this way. He says, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. That's a little more direct, isn't it? It didn't just dwell among us, it moved into my neighborhood. And then you started going, well, if it's in my neighborhood, don't I need to be looking for it? Don't I need to be aware of it? You know, among us is okay, but if it's in my neighborhood, then it's on my watch, and I need to be looking for it. Because God is giving us a living example of the kind of love which can heal our conflicts. Not just the world's problems, but also our problems. God is giving us a love that is more powerful than any of our fears. Christmas reminds us that love is what we're born with. Fear is something we learn here when we forget to trust in that love. When the angels come to announce the birth of Jesus, the very first thing they say to the shepherds is, be not afraid, right? Think about it. What's the most important thing they have to say? Don't be afraid. We got something big. So fear is a natural response to what you don't know. But if we love God then, and trust God, then the fear takes a back seat. The good news of Christmas is stronger than the worst of our fears and problems here on earth. So when we have this kind of love in us, that changes us. It changes us because it means that we have a loving way of treating those that we are in a relationship with. Yes, we're vulnerable. Yes, it's not perfect. But if we trust in God's love to be with us, then maybe we can have the courage to actually make that relationship work. Maybe if we trust in God's love strong more than our fears, maybe we can learn to treat everyone with the same degree of ethical, loving kindness that we normally just reserve for those who are near and dear to our hearts. Maybe if we trust in God's love, maybe then we can treat others, all others, with respect. Maybe then we would have the courage to listen to what others are saying and maybe even trust what they are feeling. And maybe we'll take the time to learn about the things that that person feels is important to them so we can learn about them and help them. And even when you don't agree with them, maybe we can still care about each other's well-being. Because love never ends. So maybe that means we shouldn't be closing the door on a relationship just because it's getting a little bit rocky. Maybe we need to trust in God more than our fears. Christmas reminds us that God loves the world with such a love. And Jesus is coming to us to teach us how to love each other with this kind of life-changing love. Now, such a love is much more than me trying to feel good about myself. Such a love is about a relationship where we have to build both up in the relationship. If it puts one person in a position of power over the other, that's not love. That's not healthy. To love means that you care for the other person's well-being more than you care for your own life. It's to give of yourself so completely that the other person might thrive, knowing that the one you love is seeking to lift you up in the same way. And that's the kind of love that Mary is singing about in her song. The song Mary sings when she learns she's pregnant is one of the most important love songs this world has ever heard. It's an important one because it speaks of God's love for us. 
It reveals the depths of Mary's love for God. It shows how she trusts God. And she loves God enough to take this risk of giving birth to a child. Mary's love for God gives her the courage to be part of God's mission, to start a revolution that does change the world. Mary takes the ultimate risk of her very life in order for this dream to become a reality. If you are to live fully, you must be willing to live without a fear of dying. And truly on this day, Mary is putting her life on the line in order for God's love to be born into our world. We cannot underestimate the risk Mary is taking here. Mary was a teenaged, unwed mother, to use modern language, and that is never good news in any culture. It's always a risky thing to be. In those days that she lived in, unwed mothers were either banished out of their country or they were stoned to death along with the child. That's, neither of those are good prospects. Even though Joseph is convinced that the baby is God's doing, Joseph doesn't marry her until after the baby is born. His delay makes it obvious to everyone this is not his child. And in those days, to be conceived out of wedlock was not a scandal that was quickly forgotten. The scandal of his birth hangs over Jesus' head for the rest of his life. And despite that cloud hanging over him, most people would not have anything to do with him because of his birth. Just in good society would not hang out with that kind of a person. But despite that cloud hanging over him, Jesus is able to recognize and fulfill his destiny as the Son of God because of the faith his mother had in him. And that's the amazing thing. And those words we recite because they're so important. They reveal who Mary believed Jesus to be and what God was capable of doing in his life. Those words are known by the Latin title, the Magnificat. It comes from the Latin version of my soul doth magnify the Lord. I don't believe the words of the Magnificat were just spoken on this one day when Mary is visiting her cousin. I believe the reason these words are remembered and recorded in the gospel is because Mary said them every day. I believe this was her daily prayer as she raised that child. How else would Luke know about this decades later if someone, Mary, had not remembered them and been able to share them with him? Do you remember what you said 30 years ago when you found out you were pregnant? How many women can remember the exact you know, words, reaction, when they found out they were pregnant 30 years ago or more? A, yeah, not likely, right? I think she just kept on saying these words. She hung on to this because she needed strength in order to face all of this. Because it wasn't an easy pregnancy, it wasn't an easy marriage, it wasn't an easy life raising a child with that kind of a cloud. And these words were the strength that gave her the courage to raise this child right. These are the guiding principles she uses to teach her child as he grows into a man. She says, God knocks tyrants off their high horses. God pulls victims up out of the mud. With God, the starving poor sit down to a banquet while the callous rich get left out in the cold. God embraces all his beloved children. God always remembers us and piles on the mercies. God loves us enough to bless us all. That's a powerful affirmation of who God is and what God is doing in the world. And those are the core kind of values that Jesus ends up embodying 
when he go, grows up and starts his ministry. There's a line in the book of Proverbs that says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or as that other translation in the message puts it, Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't get lost. These are the words that Mary used to point Jesus in the right direction. To the point that when he actually stands up and starts his ministry, he quotes uh, from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And these words have a strong resonance to Mary's song. Because Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. Same message, same values, made real. And with those words, Jesus is announcing that he's ready to start a revolution, a revolution based on love. He's rejected the temptations of violence, wealth, and power. And he's coming to start a revolution where love, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness are to be at the heart of everything we do. It's a revolution that can cast out our fears. It's a revolution which can dissipate anger and overcome hatred. It's a revolution that is powered by a love that seeks to serve others. It is a love which lifts us up. And it is because of that love that the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards all people. Amen.